Cut the Crest presents The Screening Room pre-recorded interview from uh, the past the blast from the past uh which is actually is almost two years old now um or just over two years uh yeah no particular reason why i've been holding on to this i just couldn't find the right time or you know just things don't work out uh you know whatever but uh we're finally here uh and th- in this interview i managed to speak to the incomparable uh john higgins now Perhaps it's not a name, again, that you're uh, familiar with unless you're a comics fan. If you are a comics fan, you, you likely do know who he is. But he is responsible. He, he's, a, he's a visual artist, um, and he's responsible primarily, uh, and pr- primarily these are the two things that we talk about uh, in the interview, uh, is The Killing Joke. So that Batman graphic novel, The Killing Joke, uh, written by Alan Moore, uh, the famous Alan Moore, and um, with artwork by, with pencils basically, by uh, Brian Bolland. And John Higgins is the third name on that book, on the cover of that book, uh, as the colorist. And, you know, um, you look at the artwork, at least in the original, because I think they they read, and, and Higgins, I believe, he talks a little bit about this in the interview, where he mentions that there may have been another version uh, later down the line, but he's obviously responsible for the original. Um, the, the color is beautiful. The p- the pencils are beautiful. The writing is obviously uh, in- incredible. Uh, the story itself, uh, it's a beautiful little book. But um, yeah, the, the the color really makes the whole thing pop. But anyway, so he's he's most well known for uh, the Killing Joke and his work on Judge Dredd. Now, I'm not exactly uh, the biggest Dread fan. I adore the Carl Urban film, um, not so much the Stallone one, even though it was very comic booky and silly from what I remember. But uh, yeah, I, I, Carl Urban film is almost faultless, uh, in my opinion. In my opinion, um, and I do own like the first uh, n- near enough a full run of the first fifty issues of two thousand AD. Um, uh, I think th- there's one issue missing, maybe, I don't know, f- number 40-something or whatever. And oddly enough, because th- Judge Dredd's first appearance was in issue two. It was in the final panel of issue two, a bit like how Wolverine's first appearance was in uh, the issue prior to, I think, 181. I think it's 180, and he shows up in that last, last panel. So technically, uh, that that issue would be the first appearance of that character, but it's like the least or less popular because it's not a full, you know, full appearance or whatever. But um, so, yeah, my issue two of 2000 AD, where Judge Dredd shows up, that <laughs> that last panel has been cut out for some reason, and I, I have no idea why. I mean, because I've not owned those since... Um, uh, from new, I, I bought them from a, I'm a from a friend, um, and actually I got them. I managed to get the first five issues at least uh, signed by John Wagner, who was one of the writers. Uh, anyway, uh, digressing here, but yeah, so John uh, John Higgins, uh, yeah, probably you know most well known for uh, perhaps those two things. Um, but as I was saying, I'm not particularly au fait with the Dread character, um, or 2000 and AD in general, and I think that might be 
I think that might be be apparent in the interview. Um, it's been a while since I've listened to it, but yeah. Um, and certainly not that a favor with some of his other work, but I just really wanted to talk to him um, about what it means to be a colorist and, and uh, a visual artist in the comic book world and a British uh, visual artist who's worked on such iconic uh, iconic titles um, such as The Killing Joke and, and, and uh, Judge Dredd uh, material, 2018 material. And I should probably also mention that this is actually um, part one of a two-parter that I'm doing on, on The Killing Joke. So the next week's episode, what I'll be doing is a commentary track on The Killing Joke animated film that was released uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and I'll be doing actually a comparative uh, thing, um, exercise, whatever you want to call it, between the graphic novel and uh, the film. So yeah, do uh, do check that out as well. Uh, should prove to be very interesting, I hope. Uh, if it doesn't, don't blame me. Anyway, back to past me and the incredible John Higgins. I would like to welcome John Higgins to the show. Not the snooker player, but the comics creator. Um, so John, so for some of us who uh, may be uninitiated, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for inviting me on your show. I'm having a chat. Um, I think the first time I saw myself described as a um, grand old statesman of comics, I mean, it made me realize that maybe I've arrived somewhere. Wow. Um, I've been a comic artist for coming up to 40 years now. Um, the thing that blew me away, 2000 AD had its 40th anniversary last year. And... I didn't realize, I didn't become, I, I my, for me, it's like um, year zero to a certain extent is 1986 when I did Watchmen. And, but before that, I was obviously at art college and I was doing, so like when I left art college as a freelance artist, I was trying to do anything that came along. And 2008, they just started and I actually sent in like a fan illustration and they used it on the front cover, which was you know, a great kick, and that was in 1977. Oh, wow. So I okay. just left college then. So when we went to the um, the anniversary, 40th anniversary last year, it dawned on me I actually have been associated with 2000 ED for 40 years now, which is incredible. Um, I just yeah. finished. Um, the thing that I'm really pleased about, one, is obviously working for that long. Yeah. Um, also the fact they keep inviting me back, which is great. Yeah. It's also... I've just, um, I have a character of my own called Razor Jack. I don't know if you know about that. Uh, no, I don't. It's something I created about uh, 1999. It's been okay. reprinted a couple of times. And, um, you know, I've, I've like a, I keep going back to it because it's my creation. Okay, and yeah. got um, a crossover with Judge Dredd and Razor Jack. Okay. And the magazine. It's actually running in the magazine as we speak. Oh, wow, okay. Really, really proud about that, and I'm really yes. pleased because 2000 AD is really my spiritual home. It's science sure. fiction, pure science fiction, which is the thing that I'm into. The thing that I got me in comics was science fiction horror. Right. In fact, my favorite character is George yeah. all time. You know, no other oh, character yeah. appeals to me. So to actually have my character and George Red, you know, yeah, it, yeah it, crossing over. So I've been around for a very long time. Well, yeah, as long as me, really, 77, that's, yeah, that was the year I was born. Um, in <laughs> fact, I do know your the, the character because I think 
we see it on your website, don't we, on uh, tomocolor.com. Uh, yeah, I'm. you've got to forgive me if I sort of jump around a bit um, in terms of timeline and whatnot, in terms of your career. Uh, but, okay, so where did you study? What did you study? How did you sort of fall into this line? I went to um, a college in uh, just in Merseyside, just outside okay. of Liverpool, and which is my hometown. Okay. And the while I was there, I mean, I've always loved anatomy. It's like I was drawing anatomy, and that's sort of like I became a medical illustrator before I became a comic artist. Oh wow! Okay. I worked in, in the Royal Marsden Hospital in London. Oh, incredible. Yeah, but while I was there, I was actually doing freelance work, doing book covers and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but when I was at college, um, one of my um, co-students, he was really into comics. I'd left comics, you know, 10 years previously. Right. But he stuck with it and he, he knew the sort of comics that you can grow into yeah. if you stick with comics. Because okay. I obviously um, started off in the superhero stuff when I was 14. And that didn't seem to like satisfy me as I got older. Okay. But they developed while I'd gone away and done, done other things. Yeah. So when I went to college, he educated me, particularly with the undergrounds and like the, the the adult underground comics that were coming out of Europe and America, and um, it was just an eye opener for me. The artwork was the sort of stuff I dreamed about. You know, it's yeah. it's my best and worst nightmares, the sort of stuff that I would like to draw and aspire. Yeah. Or, you know, monsters, creatures, spaceships, and everything that I love. Yeah. Uh, so while I was to college, I that's I rediscovered comics. Okay. I took a job in London, and because um, to a certain extent now, I mean, obviously we're doing so much through the internet. I can deal with all my clients in America or in Scotland or anywhere. Yeah. You know, because of the internet. In those days, you had to like establish yourself close to, you know, where the work was. So I yeah. moved out to London, and I did get a job. Okay. So in the Marsden Hospital, Royal Marsden Hospital. Yeah. So, but that was also quite central to all the book publishers I want to work for. Oh, nice. You know, okay. Yeah. So, so Pan, strategic. Yeah, I mean, Pan Books was literally just um, a twenty-minute walk down, you know, Fulham Palace Road, and then I can go into sort of like uh, you know, Piccadilly's, like you know, in yeah, minutes. So it's really, you know, I could do it all lunch hour. So I used to pop out with my portfolio to see the book um, editors okay. in all these different pub publishers based in London. It was just a um, perfect opportunity to learn. Yeah. And in one of the, it's one of those great things because of the limitations, obviously, of the technology in those days. Yeah. You had to turn up and show your portfolio. Yeah. You know, you couldn't just, um, you know, fax it through or anything. Yeah. It gave you a different um, dynamic. Yeah. You became friends with the editors first, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. then you commission. So it's like, whereas nowadays, you know, you might not, never meet your editor like face to face. You know, it's very frustrating. Yeah. I always still try and meet my editors face to face or my collaborators yeah. that I work with. You know, the writers, the colorists, and and yeah. so you know, conventions are a good way to meet people. Yeah. But um, creatively, if you're actually talking to them and making ideas, you know, it's like it's it's a better way of dealing with like creative subjects as far as I'm concerned. You probably know the same thing if you're a, yeah. an actor, you know, it's like you, you deal with the writers, the producers, yeah. the actors. And it, it's I that's the thing I like most about what I do is the collaboration. Yeah. It's it's um, probably very similar to acting. 
the fact yeah. that you're dealing with the, the script writer and it's like, you know, we're trying to get the best thing between the two of us. And then I talk to Sam, my colorist, and I want the coloring done this way. And then the editor will tell me and the writer what he wants. Yeah. You know, just a great collaboration. I love it. It's the best thing about what I do. It's collaboration. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's interesting um, because I studied graphics and illustration at H&D level and Back then, that was in the late 90s. So I studied art, actually. My, my area was, um, was fine art. And that was quite a sort of almost reclusive um, experience. You know, I'd be sort of locked away in my studio. And there was, there was hardly any, there was no collaboration. There was no anything, really. And there was just judgment at the end of every two weeks when you have a crit. And people would sort of come out and, and talk about your stuff. So it's... It's actually really nice to hear that, you know, um, working professionally as an illustrator, uh, that you are collaborating with a team, which is, I think, what I loved about comics as well growing up, because it wasn't just one name. It was a multitude of people. And it was really nice that you're saying that you actually met with the team. You, you know, you'd sit down face to face and discuss all the stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's really... One of the great things, I mean, it's like 40th yeah. anniversary. I met people I'd known for sort of like, you know, 25, 30 years. Like um, I met some people who worked at 2000 AD in the, the 70s who I'd never met, who came over especially, you know, um, lots of European artists. They lose, you know, um, British comics in the 60s and 70s used a lot of European artists, um, the Spanish and Italians in particular. It's, they were just brilliant artists. So it was great at the 40th anniversary to meet some of my favourite artists I'd never, ever met. That's incredible. There's so many people I do know that I've met over the years. I mean, I've, some of my longest relationships are with people I meet once a year at conventions or twice a year at conventions. So it really is one of the, the best things about being in comics anyway. And I can't, there probably are other, you know, well, acting. It's like, you know, I bump into actors like a different, you know, San Diego or... Yeah conventions and it's just brilliant you know really like it's it yeah it is, and it's interesting that even um the people that say we admire from the outside like yourself can also fanboy or fangirl out over people you know that there's people that they also get quite thrilled by um okay so that, yeah let's move on to um well okay so we've talked about the comics work and you touched on how actually you started out uh, doing medical illustration. So do you, you classify yourself as an illustrator first or a visual artist first before a comics artist? Because you've, I've noticed you've done a bunch of um, commercial work as well, like for Levi's and things like that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely a comic artist. Okay. It doesn't have a sequential series of pictures. Um, I'm not really interested. Okay. Talking to um, a friend earlier on today, who actually did go to art college with, we still keep in touch, which is really nice. nice. And he's a very uh, he were, he has a very successful design agency in um, Liverpool. And I was like, a lot of my contemporaries do storyboarding or visualizing for Star Wars. I mean, or yeah. you know, nowadays, you know, there's so many people I start in the business with yeah. who work in movies and film. Yeah storyboarding, you know, scene setting, whatever sort of thing. Yeah. And you can earn incredibly well out of it. It can be an incredibly um, fulfilling occupation. Yeah. But for me, I have no interest in that because 
the thing that counts for me, the only thing that counts for me yeah. is telling a story. Yeah. I'm not really interested in being, having said how much I enjoy collaboration, yeah. the art of being a very small cog in a very big you know, yeah. film production where your images are used as a basis for everything else, but they're yeah. never ever seen. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I I have no interest in that. I, I, it's yeah. just I want to tell my story. I want people to see what I do yeah. and read the story from you know from that mine to my hand to my picture to my publisher yeah. to goes into people's hands. Yeah, said that sort of like a Dermot of power. You know, he worked for 2000 AD yeah. and he's one of the top um, storyboard artists in the world. Yeah. And he did a lot of um, Harry Potter illustrations. Oh, right, okay. We went over to um, Burbank. So, like, DC Comics had moved from Gotham City, which is New York, over yeah. to Burbank, which I still haven't forgiven them for, but last year <laughs> to see them. And we went on a tour of the uh, the Warner Brothers um, film lot. Oh, right, okay. A display of sort of like um, Hogwarts and, yeah. you know, Harry Potter and Dermot Power's work has blown up, you know, massive size. And, you know, you walk around right. Dermot's films and pictures. So, you know, you, it does have a life above and beyond just like yeah. being the production line. But for me, I just want to tell stories. And um, sometimes stories are – the important thing about stories, as you know, being an actor yeah. and storytelling yourself, is the fact that it's like you, the most mundane images yeah. – give you more insight into character yeah. than most flashy, exciting visuals that, you know, yeah. artists need to do to sell it to the, you know, the, the producer, the director, and so on. Yeah. So I like the minutia yeah. of storytelling. You know, I like like a close-up of the hand, sort of like, you know, writing a letter or something like that. And, and you might read what the, the hand is writing and then you pull back, blah, blah, blah. And then that's how you tell stories. Whereas that doesn't necessarily make it an interesting visual, exciting visual. You know, we want to like see planets exploding, Judge Red kicking ass all the way across there. Yeah. You know, for me, the little details add up to the whole sequence of what a good story is about. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, and you know, and it's those sort of character moments where you can have your your sort of set pieces and your splash pages and stuff, but um, yeah, it's those smaller moments that you talk about. I think that's kind of that can be that ends up being like uh, or it can be the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's like the the core or the heart of whatever the story is that you're trying to yeah, tell. Certainly, the foundation or a yeah. foundation. Yeah, it's and, all built that creates like each stage of what you want to know about these characters. Yeah, and that's that's uh, yeah that I like that. You know, I like the quiet panels as well as the splash pages. Yeah, yeah. No, wonderful. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's see. Uh, let's move into some of your um, more popular works, I suppose. I mean, we've already touched on some of them, but the big ones are obviously 2000 AD um, and then more specific works, uh, Watchmen and The Killing Joke. We can come to that later, but let's, let me just, where am I? So I've, I've been reading your website, 
and I've been reading, um, I was reading the, it's almost like a, a blog entry on your disappointment with Watchmen, was it? Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about it? Can you talk about the process in there? Because the title's actually a little misleading, right? And it's a wonderful little read if you get a chance. Just visit the, uh, uh the website, everyone, and, uh, read that entry. But, um, it sounds like, um... The, the process that you described there was incredibly organic. So that it goes back to, you know, this collaboration. Um, yeah. Can you, you know, is, is, that, is that a fair assumption to say that it, it was really organic and it was a, a collaboration in its sort of truest sense? Well, the wonderful thing about, um, I think what happened with British creators was they changed so many things when they went to America. Yeah. Um, because of you know the sheer personality and genius of someone like Alan Moore yeah. and Dave Gibbons and it's like obviously Mark Miller and you know the subsequent yeah. generals who've gone out there, yeah, and so on. And obviously, it's all as far as I'm concerned, it's all started with Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, and Watchmen. Yeah. And they've always been incredibly generous in relationship to my involvement with this. And right from the very beginning, they they wanted me to be sharing in the success of it. Hmm. I mean, the whole point of to be part of a successful product, um, the whole point of it is the fact that if you have the additional incentive of the fact if you do a very good job, you're going to put a little bit of extra work and you're just going to get your page rate. Yeah. And you'll do your daily job. And then, you know, your creativity, your professionalism will carry through the day. But if you think at the end of the day, all you're going to get is your page rate, a couple of hundred dollars or whatever it is. Mm. If you think, like, that's it, then that's it. It's a job. You close the door, you go home, yeah. go to and forget about it. Mm. But because they were trying to do something new with Watchmen and they wanted the creators to share in it, they had this thing in place where they, they wrote a, a new contract, especially for Dave and Alan, the creators. And Dave and Alan wanted me to be involved as one of the creators as well. But they didn't have, the Americans could not get their mind around a colorist who was just basically part of the production, you know, in the right. old, you know, they didn't, mm. they couldn't get the mind around I needed to contract as well. So there was never a contract for me. And in, as I said on my uh, and in the, w the website, that um, you know, 25 years later, you know, yeah. we're still waiting for like some income from the Watchmen, you know, yeah. after, after it's selling uh, every single year for the previous 25 years. But obviously, as I say on the website, like it did change once the Absolute Edition was produced. Yeah, reasons like I shared in that was because from day one, Dave and Alan always wanted me to share, and so just as I just said, yeah, they sort of like said to DC in 2005, I think it was, or 2003, yeah. when we did the Absolute Edition, that it wasn't going to go ahead unless I had a contract where I shared success oh, of Watchmen. Yeah. And, you know, because of that, I now actually share a minute percentage of what obviously sure. Dave and deserve and do get. Sure. But that little percentage of, so like a million selling graphic novel is... Um, yeah. Very nice little percentage to get. So. <laughs> Good, I can imagine. No, but that's a really sweet sort of um, gesture. I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like there was any sort of uh, 
it was just all about inclusion. There's not sort of there's no ego. There wasn't any of that. It was just three creators just properly just collaborating and on on the sort of same uh, level, I suppose, or keeping each other on the same sort of uh, level, perhaps. I think that was yeah. the one thing for me. So I mean, for my career started when some of the comics were changing, yeah. uh, creatively as well as uh, financially incentive-wise. Yeah. And to be there at the very beginning, um, and it really was. I mean, it's like everyone now who comes into comics can get some sort of contract. Yeah. You know, they will share in the success of whatever book they're working on. Um, and that's because of people like Dave and Alan and Frank Miller and a couple of other people in the business at that time. But these people, you know, they weren't going to work this like you, you, the daily rate, you know, it's, yeah. you know, the road rate. Um, and thankfully, it's like people like DC listened. I mean, no matter what you hear about DC, I mean, they have changed things for the better for a lot of artists, a lot yeah. of creators. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of sort of like um, what can be done if yeah. everyone talks together. And yeah. so, so right from the very beginning, it's like David and Alan, the other creators all seem to think, you know, there's no superstar. No one's like said, well, I deserve yeah. him because yeah. I this. You know, everyone's like saying, you know, you can have a sliding scale yeah. of incentive and that's, that's the way it should be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's, that's wonderful. Um, okay, uh, so just uh, jumping back to 2000 AD, so um, you weren't just doing the colouring, right? You were doing their covers as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was really weird, sort of like um, the first couple of years when I was freelancing and I was trying to become a comic artist, I was I was doing everything. I was mm. I actually wrote myself some um, future shocks okay. and illustrated and penciled and inked them. Um, but in those days, they didn't have any color, and right. certainly no painted color. It was all black and white, the interior art. Yeah. And even the, the cover and the double-page spread in the middle where they did have color, mm -hmm. that was done in, in studio in, in the uh, publishers. Yeah. So I was just trying to make you know whatever work I could for myself. So I've always been a writer, artist, mm -hmm. pencil rinker, and colorist. Um, but my forte in the early days was as a painter. And right. I want to be the next Roger Dean. I don't know if you know Roger Dean, but he did the Yes covers for okay. the, the. I feel uh, I yes, should. Sort of like a soft rock, um, you know. Right, okay. successful band in the uh, 60s and 70s, probably. But he did these incredible covers, fancy, fancy science fiction, and I wanted to be him. Well, right, okay. only one, Roger Dean. So I became John Higgins, the artist. Um, so, but I always wanted to paint. I always wanted to make worlds completely and utterly believable and dimensional. Yeah. And for me, you can do. You can only do that if you try and make it um, realistic in the context. If you're doing fantastic worlds, yeah. then you have to have something in it that make people believe it. And that's the great thing about comics is the fact that comics, people can get carried away by the story yeah. with black and white line. And I, I discovered that over the years. The fact it's like the story, you can sit a kid down, as you will in it's like five, ten years, <laughs> but you can like tell them a story and they will be transfixed yeah. by you telling them about, I don't know, Cinderella or yeah. Jack Boots or whatever. 
Yeah. You know, you can tell them a story and they will completely not only believe they will be there. And that's the thing about storytelling. You know, if yeah. you grab someone with, make them believe your world. I mean, it's like Mick McMahon for me is one of the best storytellers, Judge Dredd artists. Yeah. He, he worked on so many different levels for me, but it was quite very stylized. And it's like he had a variety of styles. But because he drew you into his world, yeah, story was so strong, you just went with it. Yeah. And that's the thing I love about storytelling in comics. Yeah. Yeah, that's um yeah, I don't I don't know if I, I can't really add anything to that. I mean that's I guess that's why we're kinda here because of our love of storytelling. That's why we're we're doing this, I suppose. Um okay, so so I wanted to talk a little bit about um uh, the actual film adaptations of some of your work. Um so like there's so much of it that's been translated. Uh, you've had the Judge Dredd films, um, both of them stolen, and uh, and the other chap. Oh my god, my brain is just drawn a complete blank. Anyway, um, and obviously Watchmen as well, and then more recently there was that animated Killing Joke. Um, Constantine was already already. I, I did John Constantine as well. Oh, uh, did you? Okay, Alfred right. Fiat. Oh, so yeah, it's it's that's the brilliant thing I love about um, working in comics is. Yeah. How many things can be adapted, you know? Yeah, and do you, so. Are you a fan of the medium of film in general? Um, and what are your opinions, I suppose, on any of these films? Because they don't necessarily always they they sort of take the source material and then often take a lot of liberties with with that material. So I was just um, interested to hear if you have an opinion on it at all. You know, what 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 are your thoughts on these films? Do you enjoy them? Do you watch them? Do you what do you think of them? Yeah, I love them. Yeah? Yeah, and even sort of like um, the atrocious uh, Sylvester Stallone, um, Judge Dredd. Yeah. Um, it worked. You know, some of it worked incredibly well. Some of it was just a Stallone movie, and whether or not you like him or not, it wasn't a Judge Dredd movie. Sure. The first Judge Dredd movie, or the first movie that featured Dredd in the way that we recognize from the comics, allowed for the fact that they redesigned the costume. The yeah. uniform, sorry, it's not yeah. a costume. My God, Nedites <laughs> would kill me for saying that. <laughs> so the uniform, like, was obviously made more sort of like um, functional, should we say, mm-hmm. less glitzy. Mm. Um, certainly in relationship to the Judge Dredd Stallone movie. Yeah, um, all of them got something in it, and for me to be part of the creative team, just like had something involvement with the creation of the characters throughout the years. Yeah. It's just a joy to see them on screen. And the thing is, I've been very lucky because none of them have been a complete nut of stinker or a turkey. No. You know, um, no matter what individual, you know, filmophiles might say about yeah. individual movies, all of them had something that I found pleasing and satisfying and enjoyable. Yeah. If you looked at the Stallone movies, like the first 20 minutes yeah. where you're coming into Mega City One, yeah. It's just quite stunning, you know. It's like the CGI, considering it was well, probably maybe twenty years ago, isn't it? Yeah, longer than that, I think. Yeah. You know, um, it was brilliant. I mean, they actually tried to do the proper Mega City One bubble skyscrapers and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, Kev Walker, who was one of the two thousand day artists, yeah. and it's now it's like, um, well, he does a lot of sort of like uh, character designs and it's like um, Wizards of the Coast illustrations for card games and stuff like oh, okay. that. Yeah, yeah. Went over to um, Burbank and it's like he did storyboarding and um, set designs. Yeah. 
Right, okay. So they try to do something right, you know. Yeah, so yeah. the first four minutes I found incredible. And plus the fact, to see some of the uh, the characters like the Angel Gang, I thought were brilliant, personally. Yeah. But I, there's lots of things I can recognise about. Yeah. Individual movies, certainly the ones, are, as I say, that I feel associated with through my creative um, background, should we say? Yeah. The Watch, Watchmen movie, I, I again, I, I loved it. I mean, if yeah. it, if one of these things had been a turkey, I would, I would say so. Yeah. You yeah. Know, none of them have offended me the way most of Alan Moore's movies have offended him. Oh really? And, okay, interesting. You know, I mean, it's it's well known, it's like what um, Alan Moore thinks about Hollywood adaptations of his mm. his comic books. Um, but now all of them sort of like worked for me. I thought the Dread movie was spot on. I mean, yeah, um, Carl Urban was just um, brilliant as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And the the thing that I really like about it, it's like when I discovered um, Doctor Who was being written by the fans of Doctor Who, who were kids when they first got into Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, right, yeah. They became very talented writers and creators, and then they started writing their favourite character, you know. So, yeah. And it's the same thing with uh, Watchmen and anything else. When I discovered the director was a huge fan of Watchmen, yeah. um, Schneider, like, um, he, he, was, uh, he was going to turn it down initially right. when he was by Warner Brothers, okay. because such a fan of the the book, he felt, felt and he knew what Alan Moore felt about <laughs> adaptations. So he sort of like said, "I'm not sure I should do this because I don't think anyone could do it justice." Right. Then he rethought it. He decided, well, you know, the idea was like sitting back and someone else make a complete not a mess of it. Yeah. At least if I go into it, I go into it with the purity of heart and yeah. the. I, I love the source material. So yeah. I think he did an incredible adaptation. Yeah. Um, the only creative, constructive criticism I heard was the fact that it could have been a 12-part HBO yeah. series, yeah. which I think would have been completely utterly valid. Yeah, I think, I mean, the scope of that book is so, it's so vast, yeah. right? I mean, I think for what for what it is and what they've produced, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Fan. I'm a huge fan. Um, even mediocre adaptations, as long as long as they don't, as long as they treat it with respect and try yeah. to get it right. I mean, when they just do it because you want to hack something out, you know, turn something out really fast. Yeah. And if you know um, the Fantastic Four that was produced in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and it was Roger Corman. Um, was, I think. Okay, do tell me. Well, Roger Corman was hired to turn around a 90-day movie on yep. the Fantastic Four. Right. Because I think it was Fox who wanted to retain the copyright. Okay. And they so like, if you ever watch it, it actually is pretty awful. But <laughs> someone turned it around in 90 days. I'm a huge fan of um, Roger Corman. Yeah. But um, I think he's the director, or one of his students was the director. Okay. And did it specifically to the whichever company owned it at the time, the copyright. Yeah. From Marvel, they wanted to retain those rights, so they they just turned it around. They had to produce it really fast. Right. So okay. that's, that's a turkey. That's that's shameful. That one, in fact, I I've I've know the one you're talking about now. It had the animatronic um, thing, right? The thing was a sort of animatronic uh, head and I ve- and it had that chap from Biggles 
What was the actor's name? I've forgotten now. God, my recall's really failing me today. But I do know the version you're talking about. And unfortunately, I never got to see it because I never realised that it was even released. I thought it they never released well, that film. You saw it on Channel 4 late night, you know. Right, two okay. So, okay. It was one of these legal things. They had to sort of like release it and they had, even okay. if it was just one cinema and one mm. state in America, they had to release it because that's what they had to do to right. fulfill the terms of their contract. Okay. And not too dissimilar to what happened with the last Fantastic Four film. I think they changed that, they churned that Josh Trank film out no. in order to retain the rights. Otherwise, they would have reverted back to Marvel Studios, um, which is a shame, really. But. It is. It's. Yeah. It's. Can't see why they can't do co-productions. Yeah. I think some companies actually now have seen how successful Marvel movies are. Yeah. I think I. I did read about a couple of co-productions where the copyright owners of original yeah. Marvel characters. Yeah. Were allowing like um, you know they're doing a collaboration I think. Yeah, I mean Sony have famously um, allowed Marvel Studios to use Spider-Man. Yeah, um, I don't know about any other ones. I haven't really read about it, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's the way to do it. Definitely. Um, okay, so I want to just um, how how can I speak to you and we not talk about uh, Killing Joke? Um, so you were the original colorist on that. Can yeah. you? I mean, it's I've, I've got the copy here that you signed for me. Thank you so much. By the way, that was very kind oh. of you. Um, and it is stunning. I love use of light that was something that um like visually this book always stood out when i was a kid uh just because really actually um yeah all right the so the style of drawing brian bolland's style was quite different to anything i was used to at that stage anyway um but it, it was the coloring the choices the the use of sort of the yellows and the this sort of light that uh is just kind of present in almost every single panel um can you talk about can you talk about that book? Yeah, I mean, it's like for me, it was um, it was the next step after Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, like Watchmen put me on the map in America. Um, yeah. The only slight downside of that, which is not a major downside, is the fact that people knew me as a colorist, an all-round artist. They obviously had a few years to discover I could do most things. Yeah, uh, some of them quite well, some of them not as well, but. Um, they approached me to do, because Brian Bond, as you know, is an incredibly um, fastidious and careful artist. He wants to yeah. make sure everything's completely and utterly right. Yeah. I completely understand that because it's the amount, the, the work he does is just um, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so they approached me because they needed to turn around quite fast. And because Brian was taking so long, they thought, I think, I can't remember how long it took. Sure. I mean, I think. Um, from what I was, I was talking to Alan and Dave, Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore about this, and I think they they were both working. Obviously, Dave was working on the art of like um, issue eight okay. of Watchmen, yeah. and Alan was writing the um, Killing Joke okay. for Brian, and Dave had finished off the whole next four issues. Of Watchmen and another. Obviously, I'd finished all my work, and it definitely must have been about six months or nine months after that when they approached me to do the coloring. So, right. where 
Dave had, de- had done so like twice as many pages and plus. <laughs> hadn't done 60 pages at that stage. So anyway, they, they, they knew Brian was going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the first um, Batman movie by um, Tim Burton just come out or was just about yeah. to come out. Yeah. So they knew everything that with, with a Batman title was going to sell, yeah. you know, billions. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, obviously, the Killing Joke has sort of like has become a classic, and it was it sells, mm. yeah. you know, year after year. But no one knew it at the time. But they wanted to tie it into the success of uh, Batman the movie. Right. Okay. I never realised that. Really fun. Um, so that's the reason Brian didn't do it. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's like I, I did sort of like approach Brian, sort of like saying, "Look, you know, I worked." very, very closely with um, Dave Gibbons on Watchmen. Yeah. You want me to come over and show you what I'm doing as we're going along then, you know, I'm quite good. And he said, no, just right. go off and do your thing, which I thought showed yeah. a great trust. Yeah. And I went off and did my thing. And it's like what I learned on Watchmen, I, I put through with um, watch, uh, with uh, Killing Joe. Right. I could not mess up because it's a fully painted technique. So I had to get the single page right. Yeah. It, there was no sort of like second chance. Sure. So, wow. If I discovered on Watchmen is if you start off with the base color, which is the lightest color, which is yellow. Yeah. Then you can take it in any direction. You can either go so like hot, you know, orange, red, mm. purple, so on, yep. or you can go so like cool, which is like be green, mm. and then purple, blue, mm-hmm. and then you sort of go outside of each color sort of thing so if you start off with a base color of yellow then it's like throw all the other colors in and yeah. so it's always a good start so that's the reason most of the colors most of the panels had yellow in right okay one of those wonderful printing um, colors which just throws everything out mm. if you put like yellow behind black it, it just pushes it out to yeah. the immediately yeah so it's using all these techniques in killing joe and it, subsequently, I found out sort of like that um, Brian was going to go the more noir direction. Right. He wanted it muted and dark, and as in Dark Knight sort of thing. Right, okay. If, if we'd ever had that conversation, I don't really know. I mean, I think we might have had one conversation, as far as I can remember, about the flashback which he wanted monochrome. Right. Which is something that I'd used a lot on Watchmen anyway, so... Yeah. It was all comfortable as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Subsequent to being printed and uh, being out, and I was very, very happy with it, and everyone at DC was very, very happy with it. Yeah. Went to a comic convention a year or so later. Yeah. Fan came up to me very gleefully holding a copy signed by Brian. Yeah. So, like, can you sign this? I was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sort of like said, "You, Brian's just said he hates the colouring. Oh. oh. I had no idea. Oh, That's wow, the- okay. So I was a bit shocked and disappointed, yeah. um, but you know, it's like if if someone's like us, um, we didn't fall out as far as I was concerned. He had, yeah. a, I personally would be a bit more politically um, sensitive and like <laughs> not use the hate word when it comes to describing. Yeah. So obviously, he felt very very strongly about. But um, obviously, thirty thirty odd years later, yeah. he got the opportunity to do his coloring, and and that's completely not valid because he wants to do the coloring all along. Right. Nowadays, we can use computer colors. Yeah. Do anything he wants, which is great. Yeah. For me, he he made it more noir, but um, 
you know, it looked like he desaturated every panel and, and yeah. that was it for me. Um, Alan Moore said at the time, which is actually very, very nice, you know, when someone asked him why, you know, when everyone's like said, why did they recolor? What do you think about recoloring um, the killing joke? And he sort of like said, what's the point? It was done so like 30 years ago. Uh, or 20 years ago, why recolor something that was success at the time? Yeah. And I, you know, from an artist's point of view, if I'd have uh, been in the same position, I don't think I would have, I would have recolored if it, if me. But uh, because it was done so long ago, but you know, the idea of being able to revisit something that you feel very strongly about and has proven to be a classic, yeah. timeless classic Batman's Joker story, yeah. then. Yeah, uh, that's good for Brian for doing it. And yeah. Um, yeah, the great thing is we actually both have, have both colouring now, so right. you can do them both. And I don't think I'm sort of like saying anything out of turn here, but they're doing an absolute edition. Right, okay. And they're going to do, put both colourings in there. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Is that what it... I thought, for some reason, I thought that this absolute edition was, was the recolour. I didn't realise it was both... Printed. Yeah, you know, you know, like Watchmen, they did yeah. uh, the big, thick, full size yeah. uh, collected edition. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote a foreword to my colouring in uh, for the Absolute Edition, so oh, nice. I've been looking forward to seeing that because it yeah. is a very completist type of yeah. book. I think yeah. it would be for comics fans generally, and, and certainly comics historians. I think it would be really interesting to see yeah. them both side by side, more or less. So. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well. I, for one, um, adore the original. Like I was saying, it's sort of this is what kind of drew me into the story. I, at this age, I wasn't really um, personally uh, drawn to particularly dark stories. Even though I love Batman, my Batman was very, uh, you know, I grew up watching the Adam West TV show and uh, that 80s run where he had the blue cowl, the grey outfit, the bright yellow. Um, you know, this was, um, I mean, I know that's those are the colours in here, but yeah, the t tonally, this was a lot darker, but it was the colour that sort of drew me. No, I mean, that's in, what I want. Really. Thank you, I do appreciate that. I mean, thankfully, people come up to me and say, say they appreciate my colouring, and yeah. uh, no one's come and said they like Brian's more. Maybe they're just being very polite and politically yeah. sensitive, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, to have that counterpoint, hmm. you know, madness of the Joker, and then some muted scenes. Yeah, nothing muted compared to what Brian has done. I think you can actually you can have something as horrifically colourful and scary as well as something dark and moody and scary. So yeah, yeah. Well, no, I as like I said, I love it, and um, yeah, I can't wait to see. Uh, well, I, I don't even need to compare it to this new version. I mean, I. To me, that, that that noir look, I'm sure it is beautiful, but it's, um, and with no disrespect to uh, Brian Bond, but it's a bit of a, it's almost cliche, you know, it's kind of almost, you expect that from a Batman film. I wonder if those those Tim Burton films had anything to do with that, I mean, because they kind of, you know, the palette was quite muted in those, wasn't it? But anyway... Yeah. I think the nice thing is, like in those days, people were trying to break away from hmm. the uh, Adam West Batman. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think they wanted to make it dark. I mean, you know, the Frank Miller yeah. Dark Knight. Yeah. I mean, he's like showed a mature, aging Batman. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think the colours were quite traditional to a certain extent, probably more similar to my Killing Joke than um, Brian's. Uh, but, you know, that's where Dark Knight first came from, with yeah. the maturity of the story as much as yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's like even with every art movement, isn't it? One, uh, everything's sort of um, an answer to what's come previously. So, you, you know, you, yeah, get, you yeah. get one thing and then oh, you try and do something different. Even sometimes just a reaction to, you know. Yeah, exactly. For the sake of difference, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is not necessarily always a good thing, but... Okay, um, so I guess uh, just to tie things up now, um, just to end on... Speaking of cliches, a very sort of cliche question. I'm sure you've heard this so many times, um, especially whilst on the convention circuit. But uh, when I've been out there, um, I've had lots of young people come up to me asking me how I started, what is the process, you know, um, and basically just how can they get their foot in the door. Uh, is there any advice um, that you could give to any young creatives whether they're in school college whatever a any advice whatsoever not necessarily like okay this is what you do step by step to get into comic books but just um for a visual artist really what what is what kind of advice can you give them i i have had that question a lot and obviously yeah. it's you know people who ask it are usually the first time they've ever asked it so even though i've heard it a thousand times yeah it, it's still a i need to give an answer and it's yeah. i never try and give a the rote answer sort of thing yeah, you know sure. study and um, you know get all your exams i mean yeah it, the important thing uh, funny enough i actually wrote a book called um, the art of john higgins and it, it actually tells you how i got in the business and how you know you can get into the business okay so i mean it might be on the website i think but um, okay. it tells you everything in there but simply put um it you need to obviously get a portfolio first and yeah. foremost you need to sort of like show the publisher yeah. what they want to see. You can't go to DC and show them Spider-Man and you can't go to Marvel to show them Batman. Sure. To a certain extent, you know. Yeah. You need to show them a comic page. Yeah. Um, the, the great thing nowadays is allowing for the fact that it's like, you know, there's a billion other people who want to do the same thing as you who say that um, it is a lot harder now yeah. than it was when I got into the business. Right. But a lot of publishers do have step-by-step um, -step guides on their websites. Okay. Uh, 2000 AD have, you know, if you have a trial script. Okay. I think most publishers now have trial scripts. So you can just, like, download that. They, they tend to, like, give you a format of how you can produce it their way, the Marvel way, the 2000 AD way, or the DC way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. There is a lot of help. From the publishers now, in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, when I first got computers mm -hmm. and the internet, whenever you try to log into one of the, the websites of all the publishers, they just sort of don't send work. It go away, it's like go off and you know, dig a hole and jump into it and bury yourself. You know, they just <laughs> want to know because there was billions of people sending them unsolicited work. You don't yeah. send unsolicited work into publishers because you will never get it seen. Yeah, so okay. check out the guidelines and most publishers' sites. And that's always very, very good. But also, probably the biggest one, I think, and the best one, considering when we first started talking tonight, yeah. was about collaboration. Yeah. If you go to comic conventions, 
a lot of sort of like artists or writers and colorists go to comic conventions of the same age and a similar standard to you. Mm. And you can start meeting people and start networking with people. And also the bigger conventions, the publishers go to and get editors who do portfolio reviews. And that's a really, really good way of getting noticed by the publishers. Mm. So there's lots of steps now. So even though it's harder, there's a, there is a process now. Whereas when I got into it, it really was, you know, spinning around and, you know, then pointing in one direction and going <laughs> spinning around and again and going off in completely opposite direction. It really was confusing and, and scary and it's not changed except for the fact that there is a process now where you can actually yeah. step by step there's a guideline. And probably the most step by step guideline is to buy my book. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Um, John Higgins, thank you so much for this evening. This uh, call has been wonderful. Um, so where can people find you just to tie up so we've talked about your website thermalcollar.com no it's actually the other one now I've got a new one which oh you is... have sorry beg your pardon oh that's okay you should have a link from the old one to the new one it's okay. uh, artofjohnhiggins.com okay, okay. Um, wonderful that's, it's, it's an updated one so we've got lots of new stuff on there and I'm very very bad at updating it but um, I've really enjoyed tonight and thank you very much for talking to me no, thank you John oh, I've said your name right I do apologize you have no you have oh. thank you um, and not many people do actually but you got it on you got it spot on good um, good send my regards to your partner and um, kiss the baby for me and hopefully I'll see you both at another convention sometime yeah I hope so too um, yeah hopefully she'll get another show soon I mean that your name was the um, I have this uh, habit of sort of whatever show she's going to I'll sort of look at the guest list, and I saw your name, and it popped out. I was like, "Ah, oh, yes, okay." And so I gave her the book. I was like, "Please, please, can you just you. go up to him when you get a chance?" Um, yeah, I wish I could have been there. I really wish it was I could have been fun, there. and I did, did going to lots of different conventions, and so like going to some of the big ones and the small one. This is sort of like quite small, but it was okay. brilliant. It was yeah. perfect in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, one because of the wonderful venue, but. Obviously, we met wonderful people. Yeah. And the weird thing was, like, everyone seemed to disappear, which I found really strange. Be- you know, all the uh, creators, obviously, your half yeah. went very, very early on and she had a long way to drive. And yeah. I thought what tends to happen at conventions is the fact that it's like we all turn up on Friday night, have a couple of beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, Sally and I were the only ones there on Saturday night. Oh my and God, I was looking, really? meeting everyone. It's like, you know, because some brilliant um, creators there, you know, there's a yeah. really one to catch up with. But uh, I, we, Sally and I went, ended up going out with the organizers, which is rather nice. So we went out with the organizers, girlfriends, wives, and helpers, mother, and mothers as well, which is really nice. So we did enjoy that. But um, yeah, next time, hopefully, we'll all go out for a beer on Saturday night. All right, John. Thank you very much, and I'll see you around, hopefully. See you soon. Bye-bye.